Welcome to the best of the Nick Brown Show, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's your host, Nick Brown. Welcome back to the Nick Brown Show. You hear that song, Louisiana Tech. We're going to go to, to Greg Golf with the Louisiana Tech Diamond Report. And, Coach, it has been a while. Glad to have you back on. It is, Nick. It's great to be back on. It's a beautiful day in North Louisiana and uh, nothing like uh, – and we can start off right. Well, let's talk about that because uh, last night, uh, one of the uh, the offensive performance and the first inning, absolutely incredible, and that's gotta that's gotta make you feel good, and that's gotta make the starting pitcher feel any better, even better. Well, no doubt. Uh, you know, Coach Wells and really been working with our offense, and you know, with our scores, you know, we've been really consistent with the, with the offensive part. And I thought last night was the first time that we really. Uh, we're able to use the whole field, you know, hit some breaking balls to the back side of the field, and, and just really had a, a great team approach last night with, with our offense. Yeah, and the Bulldogs got the victory over Old Dominion. I was talking to John earlier. I said, you know what, if I'm in the Old Dominion bench, when you see an explosive performance like that, and I'm not a negative pessimist, I wonder, like, sometimes the mindset is, well, we got uh, we got two more games. I know that's not great. Golf's attitude, if you ever give up eight, you're going to say, hey, guys, we got a scratch and claw. That's going to be like, hey, pack your stuff, we'll, we'll play on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we're never going to give in. But, uh, you know, I, I really thought, um, you know, our guys did a great job of staying within the game, you know, 27 outs. And, you know, that's what we preach all the time, whether we're up or down. And I thought last night, even our dugout stuff, I really thought they could just really stayed locked in and, and finished. I felt like one of the most complete games we've had all year. How important is that? Because, uh, you know, I'm no coach at the uh, college level, but, you know, you're obviously in the summer ball you're coaching. That's one thing. Keeping a dugout focused, I, I think that's very important. I mean, a part of the game. No doubt. I think it is. I think it's I, – I, I tell them all the time, I feel like our dugout is the heartbeat of our team. Um, you know, I think it's very important that those guys are encouragers and stay positive and, you know – the game of failure, there's going to be some guys come in that dugout that maybe made an error or struck out or maybe gave up a home run. And I feel like that dugout is, is a, it's a place where they can pick those guys up and encourage them and, and let them know that, hey, it's okay, let's keep going. And I really believe it. And speaking of my program, I, I really stretch it a lot. Uh, I'll even have uh, a day where uh, after practice or something, I'll just buy some ice cream and some things and just, let those guys come over and eat a snack there. Just sit the guys that are role players in our program. That's how important I think it is. Man, that, that is certainly incredible. Now let's look where the Bulldogs are and, and just talk about now, at this point, uh, tied for fourth with Marshall, and that, that's what we're watching. We talked about the top three, Southern Miss and Rice, are engaged in a series, and Ford Atlantic is in third place right now. Is that something that, as a coaching staff, you, you watch the standings and know your players are aware of it, but you can't be concerned with what others are doing. you just got to take care of your business. I know you've talked about it. When I said game by game, you told me it's pitch by pitch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, it's, it's a long season. As you know, it's a marathon and a journey. And You know, we don't try to get caught up in what everybody else is doing. We just try to control what we can control and uh, continue to stay focused in on the next pitch or the next out and, you know, let the chips kind of fall where they may. But uh, our guys are really, as you've seen, have been real consistent with their approach um, as far as just getting up and getting ready to play. Our energy has been there every game. Uh, the excitement of being out to the park has been there every game. And as a coach, it's so fun to see a group of guys that really love what they do and 
and really and, and really kind of cherish that opportunity of putting that uniform on and putting that bulldog across their chest. Uh, we're talking with Louisiana Tech head baseball coach Greg Golf this morning on the Nick Brown Show. And, Coach, only time last year that you and I really ever across words, you asked me before. Oh, no, surely not. <laughs> before the season started, you said, you said, Nick, how many games do you think we're going to win? And I looked at you and I said, Coach, I think if you win 12 to 16, you, you had a good year. And you looked at me like I had a, a third <laughs> eye in the middle of the forehead. So, <laughs> I remember that because you looked, you said, what? And I said, 12 to 16, Coach. And, and now look now, let's talk about uh, how far the program has advanced. I know it's not where uh, you want it to be until you're at the top of Conference USA, but right now 22 and 12, 10 games over 500. The difference between year one and year two for you? Well, it, it definitely is, is, you know, it's definitely uh, been a good year for us. We're really pleased with, uh, you know, where we are right now with our record. You know, we're 10 games over 500. It's been a while probably since that's happened. And, um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is just getting guys to play hard on a daily basis, you know, having our crowds come out and respect how we play. You know, the wins and losses will take care of themselves if you just do the little things right and, you know, we're just trying to earn respect of, uh, of the, our fans and of our community and, and things of that nature. But, you know, we're, it's a building block, and, uh, you know, we're, we're building every day and trying to uh, continue to get better. Good Lord's blessed us with some good players, and, uh, as you know, good players make good coaches, and recruiting has been very good for us with a new facility and things. So uh, we're definitely, you know, moving in the right direction, and, and hopefully we'll continue to get where we want to get to. All right, let's talk about that because I want to touch base with that. Talking to Louisiana Tech head coach Greg Goff and coach the top eight teams make the conference tournament. And with the strength of Conference USA this year, uh, possibly going to be a conference champion, obviously go to the NCAA tournament as well as at-large teams. One thing that has been important, you have been able to get in some games normally that would have been rained out. And by those midweek games, I'm not saying they're an automatic victory, but it's the chance to get a victory, and that's one thing with the rain you're able to get one in this week. But what about the ones that were rained out? All those games are very important when it comes to your total win total to get those games made back up. Oh, no, that's right. Um, you know, we we got a full slate ahead of us, Nick. We, we've got uh, the next, I think, four weeks is what we have left in our season after this weekend. And I think every week in there we have two games, Tuesday and Wednesday, because of the rain has pushed everything back. So, um, you know, I've just been preaching to our guys, especially our arms, guys be ready, be prepared. They've had such a great attitude. Uh, but as you know, when you start playing two midweeks uh, a week, it, it's it's bearing on your pitching staff. And you definitely have to have some guys step up. So we're, we're getting ready for that. We're prepared for that. You know, we got to – after this weekend series, we got McNeese coming here, which is really good. They beat us down there. And then we go back down to Lafayette. So uh, I think they're going to be ready to get after us, too, down there in Cajun country. Uh, exactly. Now let's talk about today's game. First pitch is at 3 o'clock. Who's on the mound today for the Bulldogs? Well, we got Big Cameron Leak, big Texas boy there coming in. And, and uh, he threw real well last week for us, had 10 strikeouts, and, and gave us a chance to win that game last week. He's going to have to throw. Uh, you, you saw – uh, Old Dominion last night, they got some really good athletes and really hit uh, hit three home runs last night, all solo shots, thank goodness. But, you know, Kevin's going to have to be able to, to locate his fastball down and then spin that good breaking ball that he had and try to keep him off balance and, you know, try to turn it over to a bullpen late. All right, Coach, first pitch is day at 3, and Sunday first pitch is at 11. Is that right? That is correct. Now, it may um, 
you know, the, the coach from Old Dominion, Coach Finn, would tell me last night that he uh, his flight has been pushed back some. So we may look at it today and maybe push him back to at least a noon start. That's not confirmed or anything like that. Right now it's 11 o'clock start. But he you know, was talking with the umpires last night. And there may be a change just because their, their flight got changed. But he was going to look at that and then – We'll, let, we'll put a release out uh, if something is, is different than 11 o'clock start. All right, and we'll put it on the Nick Brown Show page as well as Twitter as well. So, Coach, good luck today. And I think I'm going to have to get John Tabor to get a sound of a, a lawnmower in the background because it's just difficult talking to you without hearing the sound of a John Deere. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'll tell you what, I love this time of year. You know, the, the weather is awesome in North Louisiana. You go out to the city parks and the recreation department parks and all the – and see all the, the little kids putting their uniforms on and going out and playing. I just, I love this time of year. It just makes me so grateful for what I do. And it's uh, a great time of year to see all these little guys putting their uniforms on and going out there and playing the greatest game ever. All right, Coach. Good luck today versus Old Dominion. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you, buddy. Have a great day. See you. All right. That was Louisiana Tech head coach Greg Goff. Welcome back to the Nick Brown Show. When you hear the group Alabama, that means we're only going to touch base with Hueytown, Alabama's favorite son, going all the way to beautiful Birmingham, Alabama, to talk to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Good morning, Lynn. How are you? Hey, man. Yeah, yeah good morning. It, it is a beautiful morning. We're talking off the air. Um, there is, you know, you hear, you hear them say there's not a cloud in the sky, but there probably is. It's kind of a saying. Uh, I'm uh, I'm working out of my house today. I've just stepped out on the porch here, look around, and there's literally not a cloud in the sky. 60 degrees, so beautiful, beautiful day to go catch a college baseball game. It certainly is, and I'm glad that it is a beautiful day in Birmingham because if it was not, you would blame the state of Louisiana for all the rain. Well, that's usually you know that's how God makes it. He sends he sends uh, wet, uh, weather primarily west to east. So what we give come bad, y'all usually send it to us. So it's uh, we, we want to point out that and give you credit for what you do. Now, before we talk college baseball, before we talk college softball, before we talk anything with college football, and I am going to bring something up in college football that I don't know if you've seen yet about Will Muschamp, but um, before we we do all of that, am I right that you're one week away from going to the printer? We send we send the Southeastern Magazine to the printer one week from today. I have got, Nick, probably, I know I've got seven Seven or eight SEC team features. Uh, I uh, edited on material till about 2 a.m. Uh, during the night. Last night, uh, we'll be going over to Lindy's office and uh, taking editing today. Oh, spending the whole the whole weekend uh, doing that. I've got I finished my um, interviews yesterday yesterday down at UAB. Uh, so I'll be writing features this week uh, for Auburn, Jacksonville State, and UAB for the Southeastern edition. Um, advertisers have to get their stuff into it this week and. Uh, we have not done our predictions yet, uh, so I'm not sandbagging on you. We have not. Uh, you know, we wait till all the spring games are done. There were still uh, a few uh, spring games played over this past weekend. But uh, over the next several days, our editorial staff, and uh, particularly our national and regional editors, will be putting their heads together and uh, coming up with who we're picking to win conference championships and national championships and be All-Americans. So you're doing a write-up on UAB, and they're not playing. They're not playing this year. And that's and really is going to be kind of the kind of the interest level of it. Is this is a this is the first time it's ever happened in college football, where a program you've had programs that start from scratch and they're coming up new. Uh, University of West Florida this year. You're will, kidding. Will, will start football. They're going to play at the Blue Wahoos Park, and they uh, and it's first your know, first time ever for them. We are. 
I haven't got it worked out yet, but I've been in conversation with them yesterday, in fact, hey. to see if we might can include some coverage for those guys. Hey, hold up. Yep. Stop right there. I volunteer. I go right to their campus. I've been on their campus. I'm a UWF. <laughs> what are they, the Argonauts? <laughs> I don't know sure. yet what they are. Well, unfortunately, you won't be down there this week, so I can't, I can't use you this week. But going forward, hey, we'll talk about that. I mean, hey, I, I could be your University of Whistler, but actually I remember when they voted in. I was actually down in Pensacola. They won the Division Two or NAIA. They won the baseball championship when we were in Pensacola. And, yep. in fact, the Pensacola Pelicans used to play on their campus. Pensacola Pelicans left. That led to the Blue Wahoos, led to a great facility, and they're going to play right there at Maritime. It's not Maritime Park, but home of the Blue Wahoos and the Cincinnati Reds AA affiliate. Well, this, um, just an example is that we, you know, we're looking for a way to cover them. Uh, Birmingham Southern, when they started a team, uh, you know, same kind of deal there. And then you've had you've had programs that have closed down their programs. Uh, University of Pacific was one that used to be a substantial program. Out Amos Alonzo, Alonzo Stag coach there, right. and and, and an, an old player, all pro guy named Ollie Matson. Um, that's before your time, but he was the Los Angeles Rams back in the fifties and sixties, and uh, he played there. They closed that program down, and then you had a program like Villanova. That Villanova back in the 50s, 60s, and earlier was a substantial program. They played in the Liberty Bowl in 1959 or 60. Then they closed their program down. They brought football back, but they didn't bring it back at the same level. There's never been a time ever when a team closed its program down and brought the program back at the same level at which they had played it before. And in this case, they did it within about nine months. They closed it down enough to let their players get gone and um, and then turn around and open the thing back up. It's an extremely unique story. Okay, I, I want to interrupt you real quick because some of our listeners right now will argue that SMU did the same thing, but that was an NCAA. Exactly, totally right. different. It was a, it was a choice of UAB to drop football. That's right. And, and SMU did not close its program. LSU stopped playing. They stopped their team. They didn't say you can't play ever. They just said we're shutting you down, and with the knowing that they were going to come back. Uh, UAB was a voluntary, intentional by the administration of the uh, of the university uh, system to close them down with no intentions of coming back. SMU broke rules. NCAA said you can't play for a few years, but but it was pretty well known they'd be able to come back. So, totally different situation. Right. This has never happened. All right, let me ask you this because you were talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine and talking more about the UAB Blazers because where I find it the most intriguing. Technically, if I'm doing my math right. If I was a redshirt freshman on UAB's team, I would still have eligibility. Is there going to be any player, there's your feature, any player that was on the roster of the team and then it was decided to shut down, it will still be on there, or will every player, all 85, be new? No, there will be 25 guys that are there. There will be 20, 20 scholarships uh, and five walk-ons. Um, there will be two that left the program, went to other schools, and came back. Okay, then that would be that. They're they're going to be there. there yeah, I, I, one of my one of my two guys I interviewed yesterday is, is Lee DeFore. Uh, he is a uh, offensive center. He'll be the starting center. Uh, he left UAB. He went to South Alabama. He was there for spring drills. Um, when they when they reinstated the program, uh, he uh, he and Nick Vogel, uh, who's the place kicker, uh, who had transferred to Southern Miss. He had already gone to Southern Miss and gone through drills there. They were ready to play for South Alabama and Southern Miss. When they reinstated the program, the two of them contacted Coach Clark and said, uh, we've decided we're coming back. So you're going to have, you're going to have a, a, a good many players that decided 
let's wait and see, let's don't immediately transfer. Um, and I think, I believe I ended up that there's 20 of those. And then you've got two, uh, Nick Vogel and Lee DeFore, that actually left, went to other schools and, and, uh, and are back. And there are still some, Nick, uh, that could uh, do that. Has still the, got others that could do it. Uh, and I think that there, if it math works out right, somebody could get an extra year. I don't know. What about the running back? Was it from Notre Dame? Has yeah, he ever seen yeah, it? Yeah, he still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's Greg Brown. We had a long time, and he'll be a feature in my he'll, – he'll be featured in my feature. I didn't get to talk with him. But, but the question you and I talked before was how this works, and it, and it works just as you and I had conjectured it might. It will allow guys to have another year, um, not another year to play, but another year in which, in other words, if somebody said, okay, you got uh, four years to play three or whatever the deal would be, then it would just add up. You, w- you would still have only three to play, but you'd now have five years to play three. So you don't get an extra year to play but you get an extra year in which to reach your maximum. Basically, you get two redshirt years. In, in, effect, right. in, in effect, you're getting a free redshirt year. You're not getting an extra year of eligibility, but you're getting a free uh, a redshirt year in effect so that the fact that the program's not playing does not count as one of your years that you can't play. And, and we were not sure, and you, know, you and I talked on the air and off the air about that, and I, I specifically asked yesterday and was talking to guys to whom it, who personally it made an impact on them. And, uh, and you still could have a few more guys. There are a few remaining players uh, that, that could still decide to come back. I don't know that there are. We didn't discuss specific players. But there, before they start next season, they could still get a few more of those guys back. All right, now I'm going to turn, uh, talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. And, and Lynn, I'm going to keep with football right now. Then we're going to get into baseball and softball. Um, Will Muschamp. I has a temper, and there's no doubt about it. And, and I go back to the Iron Bowl last year. I thought it was some bad calls against Auburn. I, I'm going to say that, but you know that I'm an Auburn graduate. You are as well, but Alabama won the game. And they got an unsportsmanlike penalty that was called on him. There was a significant factor in how that game ended. Yes, and I go back to his time when he was coaching at Florida as the head coach, and he had several issues where his anger got in the way. And now I'm, like, I'm thinking more of ego, and I'm not predicting this. I'm not wishing this to happen, so I am predicting it. I think the Gamecocks of South Carolina are going to implode. Yesterday he fired the equipment manager and the chaplain for the Gamecocks. Well, I, I know a little bit of the background regarding the chaplain thing. Okay, um, something that uh, – uh, but, but, Well, it, it's not a it's – a, it's, my understanding is that it's a difference – in the way he wanted to set it up, that he does want to have, um, and again, I haven't talked to him about this, and won't, but uh, the way I understand it was that he does want to have, uh, you know, someone to give some guidance and have that position, but he wants to have it set up in a different way than what South Carolina had there set up. And, and so while technically I guess you could say, yeah, he fired the guy, but when you say you fire somebody, it has the implication that there was a huge uh, personality conflict, that there was, uh, something done wrong by the person that got fired, that there was a big controversy or whatever. Uh, it's, and, and that could be the case, but from what I've, uh, a conversation I've had about it, I, I don't necessarily think that was the case where the chaplain situation evolved. I think it might just be that he's wanting to restructure it and, and, and handle that aspect of the influence on his players in a different way than the way they had it set up. I hadn't heard that about the equipment manager. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know anything about that. Long-time equipment manager brought in by Lou Holtz. So Wow, somebody going back that far. Yeah, worked with the Indianapolis Colts, worked with Lou Holtz at Notre Dame. So 
I don't think I'll ask him that at SEC Media Day, but if it's going dry in the interview room, I might, I might ask him. I, I think I probably would not. Or so I'd be way back in the back where we usually stand and, uh, and, and let him hand you that microphone so it would be out of range for where he could throw it and uh, throw it and hit you. Hey, I will say in his defense, and I don't, I don't know this, but if it had been that he had fired the offensive line coach to bring in a new offensive line coach, well, nobody would say anything. You're, you're 100% Because people like to bring in, and strength and conditioning coach is one. That's one that often a new coach will come in and will change the strength and conditioning coach, and that's technically not an on-the-field coach. That's very similar to the equipment manager or the chaplain. I mean, if you want to look at it as an auxiliary piece, although the strength and conditioning is a key factor in how your, how your team's going to play. But... Uh, it is not an unusual thing that when a new coach comes in for the first year, he's going to bring in people that have served in those capacities at schools where he's been. And so until I see who he replaces the chaplain with and who he replaces the equipment manager with, if it's, if it's the equipment manager or somebody has you know six months of experience, you don't know anything about him and he's never met Muschamp before, that's different than if you find out he brings in an equipment manager that served with him at Florida or Auburn or somewhere well if i do ask the question at sec media days i'm i'm working on an alias i'll either be lynn scarborough or john Tabor. Tabor. i'm not gonna be able to be there this year so use Tabor. he's a more likely uh he's more likely candidate well i was going to take you it was my year to treat so i guess we have to put that off of you (laughs) yeah i'll be uh i'll be in ukraine well, all right. Uh, I want to move on to the diamond but we talked about south carolina and will muschamp but we got to talk about the baseball program 31 and 8 overall 12-4 12-4 and four in the league, uh, leading the SEC Eastern Division. Now, Florida is 12-5. and five, so. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, those, those two teams, but, you know, we talked last week, watch out for Vanderbilt. Yes, you did. And, and, and you notice they're now moved up where they're in, they're in third place and they're in striking distance. Okay, and, you, as prophetic as you are, you know Louisiana does have a lottery. I, I wish you would. <laughs> now, you, you've done that on something. So if you would give John Tabor off air some numbers so that the okay. whole world yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. We'll see what I that. Yeah, I, I'd probably end up uh, doing it for an entire month and never even pick one of the numbers. But but we'll we'll, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what we can work out on that. But it you know it's if if Vanderbilt does not end up being one of the top three teams in the division, you know I'll be shocked. And if they don't end up being a team that makes some noise in the NCAA, as as uh, ineffective as Vanderbilt's base basketball men's team has been over the years in the postseason, uh, Vanderbilt's a postseason threat in. Um, you know, in baseball. But real interesting, we talked about it, you know, Thursday about the uh, the top four teams in the Western Division were going to be playing each other, and you're going to start getting some separation. And uh, that, that basically happened. Uh, Alabama playing A&M and Mississippi State playing LSU being the top four teams. And sure enough, Alabama loses. Um, and uh, and Mississippi State beat uh, LSU 12-8. to Was that the score? Yeah, well, I believe you're correct. Dropped LSU to nine and seven uh, in the league, and Mississippi State they're now tied at nine and seven in the Western Division, and Texas A&M leading at eleven and five. And it's a really interesting concept because we always talk about the West versus the East in the SEC. We go, we know that SEC Western Division football is better, but I, I just don't. I know the numbers don't show it, but I, the numbers show that the Eastern Division is better. But I, I think you look at a hot L. The top six teams, obviously, South Carolina, Florida, and Vanderbilt, A&M, Mississippi State, and LSU. Uh, but balance, or is the, is the Eastern just that much better? No, well, I mean, I do think the East is better. But, but better doesn't manifest itself as much in baseball as it does in football because you, you have um, a, a team that is inferior 
wins more often in baseball than it does in football, just because of the nature of it. You play more games. Uh, you've got, you know, it's just a, the different nature of the ball game. And, you know, the, the, the point I, I usually make when we're discussing this kind of thing, the worst team that's ever played in Major League Baseball uh, with the worst record won like 50 games. I mean, so 50 games, 50 times, they walked off the field as a winner against the best baseball players in the world. But they were still the worst team. So that's, you know, it's a little, it's a little different. You're not exactly comparing uh, apples to apples. But, I, but, yeah, I do think the East is better, but I don't think it's as much better, let's say, as the West has been in, um, in, in football. Well, if the, if the regular season ended today, we know it's a battle to get to Hoover, and we know 12 teams are going to go, and I think that's good. We talked about that earlier today on the show. The tournament is better when you have – LSU is always going to be there, but when you have LSU and Mississippi State, you need one or two from the state of Alabama, Alabama or Auburn. Well, if the SEC regular season ended today – You'd be two teams. For, I think the I think the conference would be happy because it'd be Tennessee and Missouri well, at home. Well, yeah. I mean, with all due respect, Tennessee and Missouri, the four the four teams every year that's going to bring the largest crowds to Hoover is Alabama, Auburn, uh, Mississippi State, and LSU. I mean, it's just how it is. I have been to I have been to tournaments there over the years when two of them were not there. I don't think I remember when three of them weren't there. And it's been different ones that weren't there than LSU. I don't think they've missed it. But uh, my, my memory is that they no, I don't think they have. I think Mississippi State missed. Mississippi State and Auburn, Alabama, all three have missed. Yeah, and yeah. I think the one year that Mississippi State missed, I think Alabama was there. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't remember three of them missing the same year. But it absolutely does make a difference. There's no question about it. Uh, in, the, in the attendance, in the fervor, uh, you know, LSU people treat it like it's uh, having a, a three-day tailgate before the thing starts. Uh, they're, they're similar but to a smaller degree than Kentucky is in basketball. And when you know they're going to be there and they're going to have everybody else outnumbered and it doesn't matter you know, where it's played kind of deal or when Kentucky plays. And in a lot of ways, LSU kind of approaches uh, baseball in the same way. Well, uh, real quick, talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. A lot of writing left to do if you're going to the press one week from today. But i got to touch you on SEC softball and tell us uh, how it's going. Well, two, two dramatic games last night. And again, it's every week. You know, in, I, don't, I haven't seen who they play next week, uh, but it's going to be the same kind of deal. Uh, once again, you had you had four of the top five teams playing each other. Uh, you had Auburn and Georgia, and you had Alabama and Kentucky. And uh, they both ended in dramatic fashion last night. Um, two to two between Kentucky and Alabama. Uh, Kentucky in the, I believe it's the top of the sixth, uh, gets, a, gets a run um, and scores to win it three to two. Alabama had uh, had had a home run early to uh, to take the lead in the ball game, and uh, and then Kentucky comes back and wins it, uh, drops Alabama now down with six losses, and Auburn and Georgia, um, Auburn is uh, is pretty easily the best offensive team in the league, but the only team that compares with them favorably is Georgia. We'd had a conversation actually on Thursday um, with with somebody that follows it pretty closely, and I made the observation that Georgia is the is the one team that really has the potential to, to stretch out over Auburn in the conference. Because of that, uh, in the seventh inning, Georgia's ahead 3-1. to one. They're playing at Auburn, and Auburn's first two batters strike out. So they are one out away from having beaten the number two team in the country on their home field 3-1. to one. And they got to the top of the order. Leadoff hitter gets a single. Uh, second hitter gets a single. Third uh, hitter hits like her 15th home run of the year uh, a, with – all, all, uh, everything done after two people were out, one out 
away from winning the ball game, and Auburn wins it four to three. So it just continues to stretch out. You got Auburn and Florida with three losses each, and surprisingly, Kentucky is now establishing this itself. You'd have thought Alabama and Georgia, and of course Tennessee made the World Series last year, and they're still right in the thick of it. But uh, but Kentucky is emerging as the team that right now is the is the biggest contender to Florida and Auburn for the. Uh, for the you know get the top two seats. I mean that that'll change probably next week, Nick, because there's na- there's nine uh, nine ranked SEC teams out of the top 19. When you've got that, uh, every time you take the field against one of those nine teams, it's a potential loss, no matter how good you are. Uh, certainly uh, incredible, and I know that you have a busy afternoon. It won't be just uh, laying out and uh, enjoying coffee on the veranda in beautiful Birmingham, Alabama. I'll be honest with you, I'm selfish. I take uh, Lindy's to the beach. It's the best college football magazine ever. So get back to work, Lynn. But don't worry. I'll be uh, I'll be writing and editing uh, all day and late into the night uh, for the next uh, eight or nine days. So you know, if you've got insomnia at uh, one a.m. and you're wondering what to do, call my cell phone. I'll probably answer on the first ring. Hey, it sounds great. And Lynn, uh, happy writing. That's all I know Thanks, how to do. We'll do, we'll do our best. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you. That was uh, Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on the Nick Brown Show. Thanks for listening to the best of the Nick Brown Show. Tune in live every Saturday on ESPN977.com or subscribe to the show in iTunes, on Stitcher, or at redpeachsports.com.